Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. Morning Shot. Welcome to Morning Shot. It's Audrey and Ryan with you. Now, all eyes are on the much-anticipated UN Climate Talks or COP28, which kicks off in Dubai tomorrow. It's sizing up to be an important one as leaders from around the world do a global stock take of the progress of the Paris Agreement target to limit the rise in average global temperatures to 1.5 degrees Celsius. Yeah, but even as leaders and environment experts keep their hopes up on progress, already there's some slight controversy stirring. Leaked briefing documents reveal the UAE's plans to discuss fossil fuel deals with 15 nations. And meanwhile, the world's two largest greenhouse gas emitters will not be represented by their heads of state. The White House has confirmed that U.S. President Joe Biden will skip the summit and Chinese President Xi Jinping is not expected to attend the meeting either. For more insights, we're joined by founder and CEO of Her Planet Earth and co-founder of Investors for Climate, Christine Amor-Lavar, who will be headed to COP28. Christine, welcome to Money FM's Breakfast Show and thanks for joining us. Good morning, Audrey and Ryan. It's a pleasure to be on the show again. It's great to have you on. Well, we got to start off by talking about what's stirring the pot a little. What do you make of the information that leaked ahead of the talks? You know, the UAE apparently planned to use its role as the host of COP28 as an opportunity to strike oil and gas deals, plus the fact that, you know, some major leaders won't be attending. Uh, what do you make of all of this? So the leaked information, honestly, is extremely concerning. I mean, the decision to allow the UAE to host the conference was already controversial in the first place, Mm. especially given the group CEO of the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company is the president of COP28. So it does remind us how important it is to ensure that hosting such events need to align with real commitments. But ultimately, it does raise some critical questions. I mean, the leaked information suggests a conflict of interest, Mm. I would say, uh, points to potential exploitation of the platform to gain to economic gains, very serious and if shown to be authentic, the documents challenge the sincerity of the UAE's commitment to addressing climate change, basically. Um, the truth is we need much more transparency, especially from those countries with significant stakes in the fossil fuel industry. And, and the fact that, the, as you mentioned, the, the, two, the, the leaders of the two biggest countries are not attending, that poses real concerns and, and, and really questions their commitment, in fact, to the climate change plan. Now, Christine, talk about making commitments, we typically see a lot of talk happening. So how much action and progress have you noticed? Can you describe what's been happening over the past few years? Sure. So, I mean, there's been significant progress in raising awareness about climate change globally, of course, but the concrete action remains the huge challenge. Many countries and organizations have made commitments, as you know, but implementation and accountability are what matters. So for COP, what's going to be really important is to close that gap between awareness and action. Yeah, I also want to follow up on that meeting in Abu Dhabi sometime earlier this month uh, where some of the key provisions behind the so-called loss and damage fund were hashed out. Um, How much clarity do you think we might get out of the COP28 talks on this front? So the discussion on the loss and damage fund um, during the Abu Dhabi meeting, which happened three weeks ago, was a good start. But achieving clarity, of course, is going to be the main objective at COP. As we know, the loss and damage fund is the wealthier countries to support the poorer nations who are going to suffer the most from the effects of climate change, right? Mm. So in Abu Dhabi, the parties agreed that the loss and damage fund will be administered at first by the World Bank and will draw on funding sources from the large countries like the U.S., EU and the U.K., But no firm target was set at that meeting. And so at the moment, we are going to need real concrete uh, proof in terms of the amounts, you know, that are going to be committed. The truth is we need uh, trillions of dollars a year by the end of this decade to support poor countries. Uh, Because despite their their carbon footprint being tiny, 
uh, they are the ones who are going to suffer the most from the climate crisis. So it's only right that the rich countries support them um, in the way that we're talking about through this fund. You know, we need a breakthrough at COP. And so we're hoping to get that some clear numbers in terms of what they're going to disperse to these countries. Yeah, Christine, perhaps crisis is a good way to describe it because there seems to be a decent level of urgency to get things done. In fact, uh, talking about addressing global warming has been a central domestic and international issue for U.S. President Joe Biden, who had earlier called climate change the ultimate threat to humanity. But he is not going to COP28. What do you think this means when it comes to signals being sent to the international community? Of course, his counterpart, Xi Jinping, is not expected to be there as well. That's right. So President Biden's absence sends mixed signals for sure. Um, as you said, given his previous emphasis on climate change as a top global threat, I think the U.S. remains committed to its climate goals. But of course, the fact that he's not attending poses some questions. And the fact that President Xi as well is not attending. I mean, basically having strong representation at the most important climate event in the world uh, is key to pushing the agenda forward. And the fact that those two most important country leaders are not there um, attending is not a good sign, given the conference is all about climate change, the biggest challenge facing humanity today. Yeah, Christine, talking about President Xi not going, on that note, let's turn our attention to Asia. Uh, How would you assess the climate leadership in the APEC region as a whole, you know, compared to the rest Mm -hmm. of the world? Any fronts we're doing better in and uh, what else do you think can be improved? Sure. So Asia's climate leadership has made good progress, particularly in renewable energy adaptation and innovation. Several countries like Japan, Singapore, South Korea are investing heavily in sustainable practices, green technologies. And even Southeast Asia is moving towards that way. Indonesia, Philippines, Vietnam, India are doing their best, given they will be some of the countries most impacted by climate change and sea level rise in particular. But of course, the challenge is still there. And we have big challenges with air pollution in our region, climate resilience of vulnerable coastal communities in particular, and of course, ensuring a just transition. So what can be improved is, of course, more collaboration in our region, increased investment in climate solutions. So one of my board roles is with a VC called Investable. I know you have them on uh, next. We've just partnered with Mandiri Capital, the VC arm of Mandiri Bank, Indonesia's largest bank, to launch global, a global climate tech fund out of Singapore to further fund climate solutions in the region. So it's really inspiring to see Singapore in particular taking much more of a leadership role in the space and collaborating more closely with many of our partners in the region. Yeah, Christine, as you've alluded to, you need the money behind it to really get things done and for people to get moving. When it comes to financing for climate-friendly projects, how much is it still driven by the bottom line at the end of the day? Do investors care enough about doing the public good to pay a premium? No, is there a way to make it more equitable? Mm. Yeah, so financial returns remain still the most critical consideration for investors, even for climate investment. The landscape is evolving, though, and there's a growing recognition that climate-friendly projects often return more than, you know, just the basic profits. So they understand the long-term implication and broader impact of investing in sustainable solutions. So project owners can leverage the, this shift by emphasizing the long-term sustainability, positive social impact, of course, uh, environmental impact, and so increase further resilience for the returns. But basically, aligning projects with both financial objectives and broader social uh, push for sustainability is what we're trying to do. So investors more and more are becoming more sophisticated in this space and understanding that it is a long-term play for the most part, but there's very lucrative shorter-term returns that can be gotten from investing in climate as well. All right, Christine. Well, before you go, we know that you'll be heading to COP28. Uh, What are you looking forward to and what are your personal hopes for this year's talks? 
So my personal hopes for this COP is that we, we are courageous enough to acknowledge that we have to address the root cause of the problem. Just 90 companies headquartered in 43 countries are responsible for two-thirds of all the bad greenhouse gases that we're emitting in the atmosphere. And all these countries, these companies are all gas, coal, coal and cement firms. So we, the truth is we need systemic change, such as taxing carbon, decommissioning fossil fuel infrastructure, and banning new oil and gas exploration. We also need governments and regulators to place a price on pollution so that everyone pays for their greenhouse gas emissions. We need to place a price as well on environmental destruction and increased value in protecting biodiversity. And lastly, we, we have to never forget the most vulnerable, and this is also tied to a lot of the work I do in, in the philanthropic space. It is predicted by 2050, we will have over 1 billion climate refugees and it's going to require all our commitment, capital and heart mm. to pull together as a global community to come to the aid of the most vulnerable and those at risk. Christine, one more question. How optimistic are you for this COP28 in terms of getting something done, in terms of a breakthrough perhaps we can see? So, you know, I, I go open-minded, of course. You know, I mean, going to COP is, first of all, a big honor and, and, and a big opportunity to increase collaboration. But, of course, you know, there are a lot of, as you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of worries about, you know, the direction in terms of the leadership of the host. But I do believe that most people going will have the right intentions. And you will see negotiations will be happening on the second week of COP. So the COP is two weeks long. The main negotiations happen really on the second week. So I'm hopeful that we'll get some positive announcements toward the end of COP in terms of further commitments, real action, real capital behind uh, supporting the more vulnerable as well. So I'm keeping all my fingers crossed and going with a hopeful heart, of course. All right, Christine, lots to cover. And we will be following all of the developments from here. Uh, We appreciate your insights into what to expect in this year's COP28. Thank you for your time this morning and safe travels to Dubai. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. We've been speaking with Christine Amor Lavar. She's the founder and CEO of Her Planet Earth and co-founder of Investors for Climate. You're listening to Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.